right, well, good morning. Welcome, Watermark family. My name is David. I have the privilege of serving with our young adult ministry called The Porch, if we haven't met before. But if you have a Bible, will you open it up to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 23. We will go well into chapter 2. So if you have not got some time in the Word this morning, you are about to get some of that time. So if you have a Bible flip open, if you don't, it will be up on the screens, and, uh, and I'll walk through this passage. Peter, starting in verse 23 of chapter 1, says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, in other words, now that you have been born again and believed, rid yourselves of all malice and of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, speaking about Jesus, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that people, that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What I want to do for the next uh, handful of minutes that we have together is walk through what Peter says should mark the Christian life after you believe. In other words, he goes through and says, now that you've been born again, there's certain things that should mark your life and walk through what those things should look like. Peter really uh, lays out a passage that is right on track with some of the values, some of the most important values that we as a body, if you've been here for any length of time, have seen, where he goes through, hey, after you've believed, you should be trained in truth, and he lays out what that should look like. You should belong and be connected to his body, and you should be strong in a life of ministry. In other words, those four Bs, that if you're a member here, you've walked through and are part of uh, the core values that we have, that we think every believer should have. Peter gives us a path that says, hey, once you become a Christian, what does it look like to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? It should look like these things. And he's very specific in his application of those. So really, I want to trace through a very uh, watermark-esque passage and apply it to our life. 
But another way of saying this is not just, hey, what, you know, Christian, what your life should look like for the rest of your days, but Peter gives us an indication that if your life is going to have purpose, at the end of your days, when your tombstone is written, when your time comes or my time comes, if it is going to be a life that by God's definition was filled with purpose, it's going to include these things. And no matter what your story is and what car you drive or how successful your life is or your job is or whatever car you drive and house you live in and whatever the world says, if your life at the end of your days does not include these things, you have wasted your life. If your life currently does not include these things, you are wasting your life. And the God who's there does not want that for you and wants you to experience all the potential and purpose that he created you for and at a soul level, whether you realize it or not, you so desire. So I wanna walk through those really specific things where he talks about what does it look like to be trained in truth or to grow up in your faith? What does it look like to belong to his body? And then how God chose you for the purpose of being strong in ministry or of sharing a particular message. So I'm gonna walk through, starting in chapter two, a little more slowly, the verses that we just read. So I'll read them again. Therefore, Peter says, rid yourselves or your translation may say, lay aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and slander of every kind. So get rid of certain things in your life. And then like newborn babies crave pure and spiritual milk, your translation may also include, which is the word of God, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter says, hey, if you're going to experience your purpose in life, first thing that is going to be involved is you growing up in Christ. Christian life is not stagnant where you trust in Jesus at an early age and for the rest of your days, that's kind of the extent to which you know God. That at the end of 2020, you should know and I should know God and his word more deeply than I currently do today. And if not, I'm not experiencing my purpose. If you are not growing in your faith and if it is just something that you kind of check the box once a week, you are not experiencing the purpose or part of the purpose for which God has created you, which is to know him, to more deeply know his word, and to grow up in your faith. Peter says that happens in two ways. Certain things you get rid of, and certain things you consume. And he says, hey, you need to get rid of, and then he lists out a list of certain parts of that. All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, lay all of it aside. And he uses an ongoing verb there, which is basically like, hey, this is a continual project. Anytime part of me finds anything that is uh, full of deceit or tempted to lie or any envy that pops up in my life, I'm to reject it and confess it and, and move it aside. And the reason it's an ongoing is because, hey, man, I might think that I have gotten rid of all slander or envy today in my life, but then it's going to show up tomorrow. And Peter says, whenever that pops up in your head, you reject it, you confess it, you do not let that be present in your life. And then there's some things that you and I are to consume, he says, if you are going to grow up in Christ, and that is the word of God. In other words, he essentially says this. It is not guaranteed that you're going to grow up in your faith. Like, the guarantee that you have of growing older is not the same guarantee that you're going to have of growing up in your faith. You know what I mean by that? Like, here's something I can tell you. I can predict your future. At the end of 2020, you will be a year older than whatever you are today. You're going to have, you know, more wrinkles, less hair, maybe hair in places you wish it wasn't more increasing, and you're gonna be an older person. That is a virtual guarantee that you're gonna grow older. It is not a guarantee without you being intentional, Peter says, that you're gonna grow in your faith. 
And the way that he says you and I do that is by having not just the intentionality towards the word of God, but the intensity of studying and consuming and being marked by knowing God's word. And he uses an illustration that's such a great one of like a newborn child. That same intensity that a newborn has towards, you know, getting milk should mark the life of a Christian. And if it does, you are guaranteed that you are not just going to grow older. You're going to grow up in your faith. Why do I say like that intensity? What does that mean? Like if you're a parent, you remember that moment? This was kind of new whenever we started having kids. You would think that um, the feeding process for new kids would be just a very simple process. You just kind of throw them on there, let them go to town, and, you know, there they go. But it's not. And if you've had kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's kind of you got to learn that whole system, how that works. And, um, and they got to get it down. And when they don't, when they can't get access to that milk, what happens? They go ballistic because they are hungry. They want that milk. In the same way, Peter says, that intensity of desiring the word of God should mark the life of a Christian. And I love his explanation for why. Because he says it in verse 3. Because you, as a Christian, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, you have stepped in and you've experienced God's way is better than my old ways, God's way and will as it relates to how I should live my life, what his word says about how I should handle my marriage, conflict, money, work. And like it's just a better way. I found something superior and it's began to change my appetite. That's what he, his explanation for why, of course, you would crave it with that intensity. You found something superior. It, it's like this. When I was growing up, in my house, um, as it related to like what we ate on a very consistent basis, it would be bologna sandwiches. At that time, I don't know if people still do this, at least it was normal for us then. I didn't know any different. You would come over to my house. You didn't do PB&J. We didn't do ham, turkey, none of that. If you came over, hey, what are we eating for lunch? Of course, what are we eating for lunch? We're eating bologna sandwiches. You can either have ketchup bologna or mayonnaise bologna sandwiches. And at that time, Dude, as a kid, you're like, this is amazing. I'm like pulling that red little ring off of there. I'm, I'm just like stacking four. It's a great day if, if I can get that. Every now and then somebody would be like, oh, man, I'm, I'm not eating that. I was like, all right, great, I'll take yours. And it just was like, dude, does it get any better than this? And then one day I was introduced to what some people call actual meat and uh, <laughs> things like turkey and roast beef and ham. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what have I been eating my entire life? This is so much better. Like the bologna, it's, this is disgusting, and it begins to change your appetite. Like to this day, truly, I can't even eat uh, like bologna. The smell of it makes me sick because I interacted with something that was superior and better, and it began to change the appetite that I had to it. That is how Peter says the Christian life works, that the more that you walk with God and the more you live according to his word, you experience something that's superior. And it grows your desire to know and to do so more and more. Not always overnight in a moment, just like in that illustration with sandwich meat. But increasingly, the appetite in your heart and life begins to change. And saying, man, I found a better way. And it's living according to what God says. And Peter says, that is why you should intensely consume the word of God in your life. Here's what I know. The degree to which you are going to experience your purpose and grow is in your hands this year as it relates to what is your plan for growing your faith, for growing your knowledge of the word of God. Individually, what is your plan for 2020? Now, what is your community plan? What's your wife plan? What is your plan? How are you going to study God's word this year? The scripture over and over and over hits that the 
message and the words of God should dwell richly in your life and in your heart. And growing old is guaranteed for you. Growing up is not. What is your plan on studying? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says that you and I should do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, let the message of Christ, so you could insert scripture, dwell among you richly. It's the Greek word plusios, which means just excessively. It's overflowing. As you teach and admonish one another with all psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scripture hammers that you and I should be consistently spending time in God's word and studying it and knowing it and growing in that. What is your plan for 2020? I wanna do whatever I can to remove every excuse that you may have walked into this room. I don't have time. I'm not really sure I don't know where to start. And so I'm gonna give you some handholds. If you do not have a plan this year, here, I, I can tell you, you're not gonna grow more in your faith this year. You're not gonna grow more in your knowledge of God this year because you're just gonna come weekly and get fed one time in a sermon and just like you wouldn't sustain your life by getting fed one time a week food, and then I'll wait till next week, so you will not sustain and grow your faith if you are not consistently you deciding, I'm gonna spend time in God's word. What is your plan? If you don't have one, you can go to jointhejourney.com and join thousands of us here who are walking through the scripture together. And every single day, it'll send you an email with what you uh, need to, or can read that day and a devotional that's a part of it. If you are in the place where you're like, I wanna go through the entire Bible this year, you should download an app, just listen to me, called Reading Plan, Reading Plan. And it's a red little app. It'll tell you, it'll give you lots of options. Several of us in, in, on staff here are walking through that, and that's another option. If you're like, I wanna learn my Bible, or I wanna learn just specific stuff. It's the number of equipping opportunities, we're doing everything we can to help you grow up in your faith and be trained in truth. Go to watermark.org forward slash equipping watermark.org forward slash equipping. There's amazing opportunities. Do we have equipping classes online? You can take them wherever. If you're listening from home right now, because I know some of you guys are streaming, I know you, and we can see you, all of us. And <laughs> wherever you are, you can go in online with your community group, you individually, whatever excuse you have. If you're in a season, you got little ones, you're just treading water trying to make it. It's never been easier to consume God's word. Download an audible version of the scripture. What is your plan to grow? This year, because if you don't have one, listen to me, you're not going to grow. And the God who's there says, you're not going to experience your purpose. And Peter says, you've tasted that God is good. Are you going to consume the things that lead to your growth or not? There's a class starting this week on the life of Paul. If you're interested in finding out more about that, there's uh, Summit Men's Bible Study coming up, Women's Bible Study that's ongoing, lots of equipping opportunities for you to learn your Bible what is going to be the opportunity you take advantage of or the plan that you are going to follow? Peter says, it doesn't just involve growing up in your faith to experience your purpose. There's something else. Verse 4. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, which is the stone that the entire building rests on. Peter's 
talking about Jesus saying how God's building this house and the entire building that he's creating rests on the foundation or on the cornerstone of Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's so much stuff in this passage that I wish we had more time to go through, but I want to highlight something that Peter clearly says. When you became a Christian, you and your life was placed in connection with other stones. He uses this metaphor of like, hey, it's like you're this living stone. There's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. Everything else rests on him. And God is building this house together where all of us as the body of Christ are members of one another and connected to one another. And we're each of these stones that come together and are built up together in relationship. Part of you experiencing your purpose, the second idea I want to just highlight from this text is that you would be built up together on Christ. You would be built up together on Christ. Christianity and following Jesus is a team sport. You can't do it alone. And Peter says you're to be in connection. You're like a bunch of stones that God is putting together to build this house I work with young adults a lot, and there's a phrase that, uh, that I just hear and have heard lots of times over the years, and I always think, it, that, man, this is such a dumb phrase. I would never say that phrase again. And if it's a phrase that you say, I would say, I would never say that phrase again. And it's this, man, I, hey, I, yeah, dude, I love Jesus. I, I just don't like the church. I love Jesus. I'm just, I'm not big on church. Why do I say that's a dumb statement? The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. Think about that. So when you say, hey, I love Jesus, but I just don't like his bride, the church, think about what you're saying. Like, is there a husband in the room that if uh, somebody came up and they're like, dude, yeah, Carl, I love you, Carl. I just, I'm not a big fan of your wife, Allison. That if he responded with, yeah, man, I totally agree. She's totally lame. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that you would go, hey, you gotta, I bet they have a really healthy marriage right there. That's somebody to follow as they follow Christ. You'd go, man, that's just total dysfunction. You think that when someone says, Jesus, I love you, I just don't like your bride, who Jesus in Ephesians chapter five said he loved so much he bought with his own blood. That is anything other than an affront and insult to God. It is impossible to say, man, I love Jesus, I just don't love his church. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you're gonna love what I love, and I love my bride, despite all of its perfections. And you, if you are isolated or you don't have Connection to a church. If you are not a member of a church, you are, let me be abundantly clear, because some of you guys are here just for this one weekend, and this may be the only time you ever get to hear, or I get to speak, because you're in from out of town or there's something going on. If you are a Christian and you are not a member of a church, you are living in direct disobedience to the word of God. I don't know how to say it any more clearly. You are being directly disobedient to the word of God. And you are not going to experience your purpose. And you're not going to experience living out all the potential ways that God could use you. Peter uses a, such a brilliant illustration that he basically says, hey, you're like, you're like these stones that are meant to be connected together. I don't know if you know what this is. This is what's called Granberry Stone. I thought it was Austin Stone, but I was wrong. It's Granberry Stone. <laughs> it's the same stone that's all around us in this building right now. Like thousands of them are right on the outside. And you put these thousands of stone together and they can create an amazing facility and environment that can allow you to worship people or worship God, come together as a people, allow you to do all types of ministry and just the uh, number of things that take place in this room. It keeps us warm from the outside, protects you from you know, the elements of rain coming here. In other words, when you put thousands of these together, it's amazing how they can really 
uh, accomplish or what they can accomplish. But in and of itself, what's interesting is like, all alone, there's not really a ton this thing can do. Its potential is directly related to how connected it is to other stones like it. Like, you follow me? Like, like, literally, this thing can't keep you warm. You can't, like, it's not going to protect you and create a worship environment where you can sing around. It's just a big paperweight. That, it, you may not know this. Like, the resources that God has entrusted in this amazing facility um, that just we all get to be a part of here that was so well done and constructed that people all the time will kind of fly in just to see the facility here and see the building and just see what, when you put all these stones together, kind of what God can create. You know what I've never seen? This stone's been here for a while. I've never, ever met the person who was like, yeah, I flew in from out of town. I just wanted to see that one stone. Heard it was there. Oh, my goodness. There it is. This is amazing. Someone take my picture. Like, it's never happened. Because in and of itself, it doesn't fulfill its potential, its ability to live out its purpose, all of which are functionally worthless. And Peter says, as a Christian, if you are not connected to other Christians in a small group, a community group, if you're not using your gifts and serving inside of the body of Christ, you're like that stone and all that you could do, like the amazing things that the other stones connected to one another are a part of, you're missing out on. And the God who's there doesn't want that for you. And listen to me, you have an enemy who does not want you to have a purpose-filled life. He wants you to waste your life. He wants you to live in isolation. He wants you to discount every single thing that I'm saying right now. Be like, this is why we can't really get involved. And I'm just here for like a temporary amount of time. And I shouldn't do it. And everything that is flooding your mind as an excuse of why it doesn't apply to you is a lie. And God who's there loves you. He doesn't want you to aimlessly, purposefully walk through life and be a paperweight versus all that you could be. But the choice is going to be yours. Are you going to take that step of getting connected? In the scriptures, it hammers this. There's so many different places where it says, you and I are to be a part of a church to meet regularly. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, it says, let us consider how to spur one another up towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. The Bible says you should be in relationships with other Christians where you continually are gathering together. As some are in the habit of doing, he says, don't be like those, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The body of Christ, it says all of us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are members of it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you make up members of it. And he literally says in that chapter, the hand, it's like you're each part of the body and you're like hand and foot and eye. And the hand can't say to the eye or to the rest of the body, I don't have any need for you. That Paul over and over hammers, that would be crazy. And yet so many Christians do that exact thing. Hey, I can just keep this between me and Jesus and not be connected to his body. It also says that you should be underneath the authority of elders. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders, speaking about elders, and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. They're gonna give an account for your soul before God. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Are you built up together currently with other believers in your life? Are you connected to a church? If not, today is your day to take that next step, to go through membership here. And if you, this is not the home church for you, man, we would be so excited about recommending some other ones. 
though I am unashamedly biased. Welcome home. <laughs> Peter says, if you don't, you're not going to experience and fulfill your potential and your purpose. And then he finishes in verse 9. He says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He chose you for a reason, though, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Final idea that we see from this text is that if you're going to live out your purpose, it involves sharing the message of Christ. So it involves growing up in Christ, being built together on Christ, sharing the message of Christ. Very similar to the three B's that come after you believe. That involves being trained in truth, belonging to his body, and being strong in a life of ministry. Peter says that part of the reason that God has chosen you is that you would open up your mouth and you would share the message of Jesus with coworkers around you, with people who live in your apartment complex, with the neighbors that are around you, with family members at the dinner table, with those who intersect your path. It's part of the purpose for which God has you on this planet. That it involves sharing the message of Jesus. I know that as it relates to you know, sharing your faith, a lot of the responses just haven't done this for a while across the room uh, that creates a number of different responses and a lot of anxiety and uh, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of pushback. So I wanna walk through some of those different aspects of pushback where people will say, man, I know I'm supposed to share my faith. Um, I just feel like I, I'm just not perfect. I'm not a, I don't have it all together. And I feel like if I do that, they're gonna be like, oh man, you're so judgmental. And why are you telling me all about your faith? Like your life's not perfect. And I just wanna give you a, a response or really a, a better way to think about that. You're not perfect. That's the point. You know that, right? Like, that's why we have a savior, because we didn't need second chances. We needed someone to save us. So anytime you're like, oh, man, I'm just not perfect. They're like, well, your life's not perfect. Yeah, I know. That's the point. Sister, mom, whoever it is, that's why I've trusted in Jesus, because of all my imperfections he paid for on the cross. And I've accepted his forgiveness, that he covered all of it. I know I'm not perfect. That's the point of Christianity. That's not a problem for sharing your faith. That's the point of why we need a savior. Another one that consistently, uh, and I have deep sympathies for this, is around introversion. Like, man, I'm just kind of introverted and I'm not, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I have deep sympathies because I'm, I'm married to an introverted person. But as I've studied the Bible, I have not ever come across anything that it says about introversion. It's really interesting. And maybe I'm missing some verse out there and, and you can send it in to me. But it's as though God says, hey, regardless of our personality and wiring, we should be people who share and declare the praises of the God who called us out of darkness and into his light, regardless of wiring. We should be looking for opportunities to share that message with people around us and think about it. Like, how crazy is that idea if it's true? Like, if it's true, part of the purpose you are breathing and on this planet, the Bible says, is for you to declare the praises of the God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you are the light of the world, Jesus would say. If part of the reason God has you is to share that message, how crazy and tragic would it be if we were like, as a body, accepted, you know, because you're introverted, you shouldn't live out your purpose. Yeah, you're, you could have a purpose-filled life, but you should just be purposeless because you're introverted, and that makes sense. What a tragedy would that be? And probably one of the more 
pushbacks that I get, and I think is that people, we just don't always know how to get into those conversations. Like, I want to share my faith. I just don't know how to do it. And so, like, how do I even get into the conversation? I don't want to be that guy who's just kind of, like, awkwardly Jesus juking all the time by the water cooler, like, this coffee's hot. You know what else is hot? Hell. Have you ever told about Jesus Christ? You learned, like, I don't want to be that guy. So is there a way to not do that? And uh, yes, I'm going to give you five words, five words that will help you enter into that conversation. It's a question that you've probably heard many times from this stage. It's a question that's really created a culture of allowing people, many of you, thousands of you, to engage with your neighbor. And it's this question right here. Ready? Do you have a faith? Sitting there, hanging out with the waitress, getting your food. Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you have a faith? You're discussing, you know, food over Thanksgiving meal with that extended cousin in from out of town, asking them the question, do you have a faith? Do you have a belief? You'll likely get this response every time. Do I have a what? Do I have a face? Of course I have a face. It's right here. No, not a face. Do you have a faith, a, re- a belief, a religious system? What do you believe? And then you're into the conversation, and they'll respond with, oh, I don't know. I was, you know, I was raised Catholic. I feel like, you know, whatever they say next, now you know. And you can respond with, oh, man, that's great. Can I tell you what I believe? I believe that God has me here right now so that I can share that he hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. He knows your name. He loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for everything wrong you've ever done, everything wrong in your future you're ever going to do. And he died on the cross. His name was Jesus, and he paid for everything wrong in your life and everything jacked up in my life. And he was buried, and he rose from the grave, and he reset the calendar and transformed the world around us, and he's transforming my world. And I think he wants you to know him. In fact, I know he does, and he loves you. And you're into the conversation. This, why I say this is so like transformed is it is so marked the lives of many of you that like people on the outside like almost associate this with with um, with this place. Why do I say that? I was getting my haircut recently at Great Clips, and um, which uh, feels like pretty generous marketing on their point because the Great is like a 50-50 shot every time I go in there. I feel like I'm like so getting a cut. I'm playing the odds and rolling the dice, and uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm talking. Her name is Shannon, and um, I'm like, hey, we're in the conversation. We're just talking. I'm like, hey, Shannon, let me ask you a question. Do you have a faith? And um, she was like, I do have a faith. I was raised, and very quickly, she kind of cut me off. She was like, I was raised Catholic, but, and she said, but let me ask you a question. Do you go to Watermark? And I was like, <laughs> I do go to Watermark. She said, I knew it. People from Watermark, they're always coming in here, talking to me about Jesus, telling me how much God loves me and tell me I need to come be a part of their place. And, and I said, you know why they do that, Shannon? Because they believe that God loves you so much. He wants you to know him and experience life. He's not angry at you and just we're able to walk through and share the gospel imperfectly with her. And many of you are living that out and sharing your faith and inviting other people to come know the God who from the moment those other people started breathing has wanted them to know him and walk with him. But others of you are not, and you're not experiencing your purpose. The Bible hammers this home, Acts chapter one, verse eight, that you and I are to be witnesses on Jesus' behalf. He says, Jesus speaking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, it says, how can they believe, like people believe, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without somebody telling them? 
How can anyone preach unless they are called to go or sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 says, But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. Part of the purpose God has you here is that you have got to open your mouth and share about the message of Jesus. When I moved here to Dallas a little over a decade ago and came to work at Watermark, I, I got to live in the back house of a family who was here, and it was an amazing family. I didn't know them before I moved here, but they just welcomed me into their life and, and just were incredible. And, um, and the home situation, I didn't know what I was walking into, so I drove from College Station up to Dallas and came up here and, and had seen where I was going to live, and then I met the family, and it was like I pulled up to uh, a neighborhood. I had never been to a neighborhood like this before. It was like that moment in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where you pull up with Uncle Phil, and you're like, can you be my new dad? And, uh, <laughs> and it's just amazing. Like, our neighbors were like Dirk Nowinski and Ross Perot, and just like, where am I right now? This is insane. I'm talking one day with the son about how just kind of craziness of the homes uh, around us, and he, he basically was like, hey, dude, those don't compare it all to one of the houses two doors down that's over here. And he begins to lay out some of, of this stuff that this house is like 70,000 square feet and just this massive house had an indoor car, indoor car wash, just 16 car garage, just crazy kind of stuff that was a part of it. And he's like, you want to see it? And we walk down behind the property line to go see it. We get to the house or we get to their property line. Points. I look out expecting to see this massive house and there's nothing there. Three weeks before anybody ever moved in, it took years to build this incredibly huge, largest home in Dallas at that time. Three weeks before anybody moved in, they were putting stain in the floors. These giant magnifying glass type windows or giant windows acted like a magnifying glass and the entire thing went up in smoke. It was the largest insurance claim in history at that time. It was a complete tragedy because that house, as amazing as it is to talk about, like, wow, that's so cool. They had multiple pools and had 16 car garage and, and uh, you know, billiard tables and all this different stuff. As amazing as that is to talk about, a house is only worth anything to the degree that it fulfills its purpose, which is people living there. And it was a complete loss, complete tragedy. What is even more of a tragedy is how many Christians never experience and live out their purpose. That just like a house is only experiencing its value or purpose in the degree to which it has people living there. How many Christians live their entire life? They trust in Jesus. They don't grow in their faith. They don't do so with other believers around them. They never get connected to a body. They never talk about Jesus or share the message of Christ. And an even greater tragedy is that because you can get another house. You don't get another you. You don't get another set of your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or any other days of your life. How are you going to spend them? Because the God who's there wants you to experience purpose in this life. I read verse 10, and I, I want to read it one more time because it's a really interesting verse that Peter, and I'm going to close with this. He says that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's interesting about this verse is it's almost a direct quote or reference to Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. In the book of Hosea, 
Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the story of Hosea. It's an interesting thing that Peter would say, you know what, this feels like it's right here. This is where I should insert. The book of Hosea is a story that clearly celebrates and showcases the greatness of God despite the imperfections of people. Why do I say that? Because inside of the story of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet that lived in the 700s. He was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And a prophet at that time, he's like, what's a prophet? Someone in the Old Testament, God showed up, said, I'm going to speak to the nation through you. And you would think, that feels like anybody could just claim that. Well, if what you said was going to happen didn't happen, if you claim to speak for God, then they killed you. So it wasn't something where a lot of people were like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Hey, guys, the weather tomorrow is going to be, because if it didn't happen, you die. God shows up, Jose, I'm going to speak through you. You're going to be the microphone that I'm going to use to speak to the people. And not only that, you're going to be an illustration that I want to showcase of my love for the people. So I have an assignment. And he says, Jose, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go marry a prostitute. And I've already got her picked out. And it's going to be a picture of my love because she's going to cheat on you over and over and over again, and that's going to be a picture of how I love the people of God, and they cheat on me over and over and over again. He says in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said, go and take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and you're going to have children of whoredom, as in they're not your kids. For the land commits great whoredom against me. Hosea goes, and he marries her. Things are going fine at some level. And then shortly after that, she comes home and she's pregnant. But it's not his baby. She'd been sleeping and cheated on her husband. She's pregnant with another man's child. And God says, I want you to name the child Lo Rumah, not received mercy. Sounds familiar? And then a little time goes by and raising this child and going doesn't stop. She keeps cheating on her husband. She sleeps around and eventually she gets pregnant again. Another man's child. She comes home and as heartbreaking as that must be for Hosea. She has the child, and God says, I want you to name him, not my people, Lo Ami. Eventually, it gets so bad that she continues to sleep around. She becomes the property of another man, we're told. And Hosea, as heartbroken as he is, it's almost like he's tempted to give up this relationship. God comes, and in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 says, Go again, Hosea. Love a woman who is loved by another lover and is committing adultery now, just like the love of the Lord for the people of Israel. And Hosea goes and he has to buy his wife back. Shows up and he's like, that's my wife. He's like, I don't care what she is, what she costs. He doesn't have enough money. He goes, gets every shekel he has and some other things from his house. He's like, whatever the price, I'll pay it. It's my wife. And the picture and the entire thing is this amazing picture where you and I are Gomer, like the nation of Israel were Gomer, where despite all the ways that we do not run towards God, we run from him. He never stops. He never breaks his covenant and his love pursues and goes after the people of Israel. Because in a very similar way, where the day was promised in the book of Hosea, where God would come and he would say, hey, whatever the price is, I will pay it, even if it's the life of my son. It's an amazing showcase of his love. But in the book, there's also a promise. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, where God says, There will come a day where I will say to not my people, You are my people. And I will say to those who have not received mercy, You are going to receive mercy. Because I'm a God who never stops loving, who never stops chasing, who pursues out of that amazing love his people. And Peter 700 years later says, this verse fits 
perfectly right here. Because that's what we do as Christians. We go showcase and tell not how great we are, but how great the love of the God who pursues his people despite all their brokenness and runs after them. And he says, this fits perfect as though this prophecy is fulfilled right here. Or is at least a connection to what God has done in you and in me. And now we go tell the world not how they can clean themselves up to have a relationship with God, but how God has chased them despite all of the messed up sin and brokenness in their life and wants them to know him. And we proclaim about the God who called us out of darkness into his light, is calling the darkness out of us through his light. And we do it locked arms with other people. As we grow in the knowledge of him and listen to me very closely, if you are not doing that, you are not experiencing your purpose. And at the end of your life, no matter how successful you are according to the world's accomplishments, you will have wasted your life. But you don't have to, and I don't have to. But if I'm not going to, it's gonna involve growing in my faith, being connected to the body, and being strong by speaking up and sharing the message of Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you. The picture of Hosea pales in comparison to you and the love that you've shown to us and displayed towards us. And so I pray for anyone in this room who thinks that their sin has disqualified them from having a relationship with you. That is the qualification to have a relationship with you, an awareness that I'm a sinner. And that lead me to accept and receive the free gift of eternal life today, God. Would your love and spirit do what only you can do, which is allow that imperishable seed to be planted and grow. I pray for the rest of us, God, who do know you and have put our faith in you. Would you help us to live lives that are continually growing in a world full of distractions? Would we have others around us who know you and walk with you? Would be built up together as the body of Christ? And would we share the message? Give us courage to open our mouths and talk about the greatness of our God and in doing so experience our purpose. We love you and worship you in song now. Amen.